to the Property Report podcast, produced by Property Report magazine, the leading magazine for luxury real estate. I'm Property Report editor Becky Ellis. Welcome back to part two of our podcast with Jason Pomeroy, the academic, architect, and expert in sustainable design. Tell me more uh, about the perception of Asia of uh, green buildings or eco-consciousness as luxury. I feel like in America, that's something that over the past, say, decade has actually become a potential mark of luxury. And it's, you know, by celebrities and things Mm. like that who really raised awareness and made, not across all sectors, of course, but but there's something luxurious about being eco-friendly. There's a a cachet Mm. to it. Is that true here or? I think that's a very interesting uh, perception that has started to... um, come into play in the last year or so. Um, I, I've certainly noticed that. And you're absolutely right. It's when you've got people like Al Gore and um, Leonardo DiCaprio waxing lyrical about climate change and the importance of being able to um, send the waves of, of global warming, um, you cannot help but feel that it is actually going to be more for the exclusive, exclusive elite. But um, I, I again, I, I would try and challenge that as much as possible. It's it's not easy because I mean, when you think about luxury brands that are sort of committed to corporate social responsibility programs to reduce their footprints, uh, one can almost be buying into a luxury product knowing too well that it's going to be benefiting the poor and impoverished somewhere in the world. Um, but uh, we are currently involved with a series of low to medium cost projects that one would assume, looking at them, would be high-end luxurious projects. Um, the Nova by Century uh, master plan in the Philippines, which is a 50-hectare master plan that we're involved with, is uh, bordering on a zero-carbon public realm, which sees all of its um, water in the public areas uh, of the master plan being recycled and reused for the benefit of low-to-medium-cost housing. Um, the street lighting is powered by solar cell technology, We've got uh, opportunities for wind harvesting, uh, given the fact that there are high levels of prevailing winds uh, in this kind of uh, monsoon territory. Um, we are using bioswales to reduce um, the, uh, the loading on the underground uh, water networks to help reduce uh, the flood risks that are prevalent in the Philippines. And all of these are highly demonstrable of the fact that um, becoming eco-friendly doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be in a highly exclusive development. This is a sizable, um, low to medium cost master plan, um, which will provide homes, something like 8,000 people. See, I was actually thinking of it in a, in a more positive light, which was, you know, if you see these people touting eco-luxury that that drives demand, that everyone says, oh, well, this is a really cool thing. I want to be a part of this. So even if they can't buy, um, you know, the super premium, highly advertised, yes. whatever, they're still going to be seeking out these green solutions because now it's it's not just for people who wear hemp and Birkenstocks. It's a cool thing to do to have eco-components to your home at whatever price point. Completely. I mean, um, I'm, I'm hoping that this will not be a passing trend fashion and um, I think that we will um, and certainly in my experience in Asia I have heard the words that being green is all the trend now 
and, and it's something that I hope would not have uh, seen as a trend. Tell me more about the concept of, of sustainability as a bolt-on, mm. and how that's come up, why it doesn't work. Yeah, I think that there was a, there was a point in time um, where designers were designers for designers' sake, and architects were the architects for architects' sake, and um, then the various white papers, whether it's the International um, Council for Climate Change, the, sorry, the International Panel for Climate Change, the IPCC, um, or whether it's other sort of um, green papers that highlight our carbon loads, started to have an immediate impact on the built environment and necessitated architects to think twice about what was their established skill set. And so if you've been in the habit of brandishing a black pen and um, hoodwinking the client to think that you are the, the design meister who knows everything and anything about art and culture and what is good design, and all of a sudden you've got this albatross hanging around your neck, which is kind of um, carbon issues, climate change, global warming. What better way than try and cobble the two together by sticking things on your creativity? And I think that's where it's completely failed in the past. We've got designers who are suddenly saying, oh, well, by the way, we also have a department of sustainability, who then come in and start adding PV cells, wind turbines, green walls, all the superficial additives that one would assume are um, sustainable and very green. The only downside is that you've created a building that has a particular budget. Now you've added all of these green features that are not necessarily integrated with the original structure. And maybe even the building wasn't sustainable to begin with because of poor orientation, deep floor plans that didn't have natural light or natural ventilation, and therefore your running costs went through the roof. So your Additives are only there merely to try and reduce the already high consumption, and therefore you get to a kind of a particularly poor, poorly conceived design. So um, it leads to this kind of idea that you've got a camel and you've started adding more humps to it, and what do you end up with? You have a multi-humped camel. It's not integrated. So I think that um, the, the best way is to just go back to the basics of being honest to a brief and honest to a design approach for a particular building typology. And many of the best sustainability buildings have been the ones created in the past. You know, have to look at the Victorian terraced house, or Manhattan Lots, or, or, or the shop house in Singapore. Highly uh, adaptable structures that have stood the test of time and have reacted to the societal and economic need of a particular people. And so I think that Moving forward, we should be looking at those lessons from the past and how we were designing in the past and distilling those best learned lessons to design for the present. And hopefully, the future generations will be far better at this than we are and dist hopefully distill the lessons from what we're doing at the moment. How do buyers, either for uh, an owner-occupied residence or as an investment property who are interested in working with or, or owning... Properties that are truly sustainable, 
look beyond all the marketing hype to find these kinds of things out? How can they tell the difference between yeah. something that's been bolted on and something that's yeah. truly that's really integrated and sustainable? Fantastic question. And I think that um, the difficulty is I don't personally think developers have a really good choice at the moment. I, I honestly feel that developers, they're, they're going to a restaurant and they've just been given a short order menu. You know, they need to be able to kind of understand more fully what they're going to be consuming. Um, so they've, they've got the option of a burger and chips, or they've got hamburgers, or, or sort of hot dogs. But they should be able to be seeing that there are other alternatives on the menu, and be able to understand the ingredients of that. One of the best analogies, I think, is um, when we think about uh, the content of a building, whether it's actually sustainable or not, is very much about the looking at the contents of a chocolate bar. If you kind of look at the back of a wrapper on a, on a chocolate bar, you'll understand the, the calories that you're consuming, so I'll know what I'm actually going to be putting inside me. I think that we should have the similar openness when it comes to buildings. We want to know what the energy uh, generated or, or, or consumed is. We want to know what the water consumption is. We want to know what the materials are. But there isn't necessarily going to always be that honesty because you're going to be potentially uh, sacrificing um, the deal. Um, let's just say, for for instance, supplies. If I'm designing a green building and I want to know exactly what is within a product, like a chocolate bar's calorie uh, content, one supplier may not give me the full details because their materials may be sourced from a very, very compromising location in the world that may have not very good regimes. So I think there will come a point where we do need to try and be slightly more understanding of the contents of materials as well as the contents of the buildings that we purchase. And back to this sort of short order menu, I don't think developers have that choice yet. It sounds like what you're saying is in terms of particularly residential buyers, it's not just that the buyer is confused about uh, what the developer is offering or that the developer is trying to hoodwink the buyer is that from a, the developers themselves are it, It's challenging for them to figure out from their suppliers what the truth is about sustainability. Yes, so they completely. themselves uh, May have challenges in relaying this information not because it's a devious thing. It's They themselves are, are suffering from a lack of information and opportunities yes. for Great strategy. In, in completely, completely. And I think that the various green assessment methods and criteria are helpful in being able to establish a benchmark in, in sustainability, which um, from a marketing standpoint is very good for the developer. So they may go out to get a lead rating or a green mark rating, which would um, uh, allow a particular understanding of how sustainable a property is. Um, and the only downside to is that whilst it's a very good uh, badge to be brandishing on a building uh, and, and therefore tell a potential residential purchaser or office tenant that this building is green, is whether there is an understanding in the marketplace for that. Um, developers and built environment professionals and companies may know, but to your residential auntie and uncle, they'll say, thank you very much, but what is lead? And what is platinum? So there's something that is not quite tangible to the general public. It's very good for kind of getting to an institutional grade of marketability so that you're selling a product with a badge, which will 
help enhance the asset value of your property, but to the casual user on the street, it, very ha it has very little bearing. What has bearing is if you can turn around and say to the potential purchaser, by the way, your energy bill is 30% less, your water bill will be 45% less if you buy or rent this building, because of tangible results that can be modelled through design. Subscribe now to Property Report magazine and receive a free copy of Helm Lifestyle magazine covering all aspects of luxury across the Asia Pacific, from super yachts to luxury cars and high-end fashion. You will also receive exclusive access to the Property Report iPad application and privileged online content. Simply visit property-report.com and click subscribe.